Welcome to the Engaging Talent Podcast, brought to you by CPL, where you'll find out about emerging talent solutions and insights from the world of work. I'm Siobhan O'Shea, Client Services Director with CPL, and over this series of podcasts, I'll be discussing a range of issues that are changing how we work and how companies hire talent. From resilience and well-being to sustainability and tech, the Engaging Talent Podcast will keep you informed and your talent engaged. On this episode, we're looking at the issue of leadership and specifically creative leadership. What is it? How can it be harnessed? And why is it becoming more and more important in the modern work environment? Joining me to discuss this topic is Barry Winkless, Chief Strategy Director and Head of CPL's Future Work Institute. First off, Barry, what is creative leadership? Creative leadership really for me is about looking at the world in a broader and more different way, really if we keep it that simple. I think one of the things that we're starting to see is constant references to the importance of creativity in the future of work and in the future of society. And I think we'd all agree that given where we are today, uh, we need to find creative solutions for some of the world's biggest problems. And so following on from that, I'm aware that you created this really interesting blog, having been inspired um, by the whole theme of creative leadership. So tell us a little bit about it. The blog that nearly killed me, I'm just going to call it from now on. So, yeah, I mean, I think one of the things that really struck me, I've been involved in a lot of creative leadership programs and engagements with clients over the last number of years. And everybody throws out creativity without really understanding, well, what is that? You know, how do we understand more about it? So I always like to say I like to go to the source. And for me, one of those sources is music. Um, because when you really think about it, it's one of those really obvious areas of creativity. Um, it's a lot of artistry, a lot of craft, a lot of innovation captured within you know, albums uh, by artists. So for me, it's one of the core sources about how we can learn about creativity and really ultimately then how we can apply some of those principles uh, into business. So I went on, on a journey uh, over a 12-month period where I had really set myself a target of listening to a thousand albums and learning a song from each album. Uh, and I kind of got to about 875. Uh, I'm not going to lie, I started to hate music by, th- by this point. Uh, thankfully, I've managed to you know detox for a while and I like music again. Uh, and for each of those albums, roughly about 400 albums, I would say I learned a song or a, a track from that album, either through voice, uh, guitar or piano. So wow. that, that's been my journey. That's so there incredible. Yeah, uh, while doing my day job, right? <laughs> so, so how many albums were you listening to a week then? Oh, I think, oh, so overall I was listening, I was really, a week, the way I used to look at it was I used to probably listen to about three albums a day. Now, that was not that would not be possible without you know things like Amazon Music, where no matter what I was doing, I could listen to an album. Uh, so if I was working out, I was listening to an album. If I was making tea, I was listening to an album. If I was watching my son play football, I'd be listening to an album. The the more challenging thing was actually you know learning some of the tunes, and that were genuine genuinely would happen more at the weekends than during the week. Uh, and obviously, depending on the album, some of that stuff was more complicated than than, than others, but. I really wanted to get behind that. And what I, what I then started to find is as I listened to albums, I wanted to understand the artists behind the albums, you know, how that album was recorded, uh, you know, what challenges they had, you know, in the, and, and I really got behind a number of the albums. I wouldn't say all of the albums uh, because, you know, we still have personal preferences when it comes to albums. So, but I would say that I, I, I've, a lot of gems that I wouldn't have listened to until I went on this journey. Did you focus on 
particular genres or was it broad ranging? I, I purposely challenge myself to that because I would have a tendency to have a bias to certain albums you know or certain styles of music uh, and I, d- I definitely didn't want to do that with this you know so I ended up listening to everything from jazz to funk to R&B to folk to pop you know and then everything in between so you know listen to some craft work albums you know etc so I, pur- I, kept, I kept it purposely broad because I didn't necessarily want it to be my preferences really in terms of music and the one thing that did really jump out to me was that because I kept it quite broad I really got to listen to some albums and really interesting kind of you know instrumentations I would never have heard if I didn't keep that open mind Uh, and I think that became really important in terms of the journey. Were there times in the journey that you felt like packing it in? It, it was it, it, at one point it became like going to the gym, which sometimes you're in the mood for, and then other times you're not. Uh, but I just have a, a certain, shall I say, um, uh, psychology that once I start something, I at least get to you know eighty percent finished. I, I won't always finish something a hundred percent, but if I can get to eighty percent, that's always my my goal really in terms of the uh, terms of the process. And you know. It's like everything. I mean, some of those albums I really liked and other albums were hard because different styles of music or, you know, something, you know, I wouldn't have listened to before. Uh, I'm not going to lie, though. I did kind of run out of steam around the mid-90s. And that's not because, you know, uh, I don't like the albums after that period. But I did find that in talking to people and people I respect around music, they generally focused in on the late 60s, 70s, and then parts of the 80s as the kind of key you know, times, you know, uh, so I would say there's probably a there's certain eras that for whatever reason, uh, and I'll go into that in future blogs, that there was a bit of an explosion, uh, either in an area of a country that a particular type of music came from, uh, or just, you know, things came together for a particular sound, you know, uh, so that's been, that's been the journey. Fantastic. And were there any particular, you know, artists or albums that kind of stood out to you? Yeah, well, I mean, I think, you know, obviously, like everybody, I've got personal preferences, but I mean, I, you know, uh, Miles Davis's album Bitches Brew uh, is just an incredible album. Uh, and I would have heard some albums from Miles Davis, but I ne- wouldn't necessarily have come across Bitches Brew before. And I was actually in a having a coffee in a coffee shop and this album seemed, it was playing. I asked the barista, well, what is that? And said, it's Bitches Brew, it's Miles Davis. So I said, oh, okay, very good. Uh, and then I started listening to that. And some of those arrangements, you know, are very innovative. Uh, and I hadn't heard anything like it before. So it was a real standout. Uh, there's another album that I call out in my first blog, which is The Twelve Stories of Dr. Sidonicus, which is an album by Spirit, which were a band in the, the late 1960s. Um, and actually, really, really fresh-sounding album uh, as well. And again, something I wouldn't have come across before. Now, there are other things then, like more obvious things. So I really like Prince, and I really like Stevie Wonder. Uh, and I, I, I specifically looked a lot at those, what I would call those kind of one-man band, you know, one person band operations where they would produce everything arrange it you know play all of the instruments uh, because what I was finding in particular with those kind of lone inventors was that they were doing a lot of experimentation with technology with sound so if you look at Stevie Wonder he's doing a lot of work around you know moogs you know synthesizers you know pulling out new sounds Prince was doing a lot of work with uh, you know sampling drums you know drum machines uh, you know and as you got deeper you realized the amount of experimentation that these people went through as part of the music making process to come up with this sound. And it was a big thing that comes up in a lot of the the great albums. There's actually a huge amount of experimentation either on the album or in to get to the album. Uh, And I think that's really, really interesting. Actually a really important 
principle really in terms of being messy right and i call it one of those in the blogs which is you know don't be afraid to be messy because you know messiness is is something that brings you somewhere else right uh, like david crosby had an album in the early 70s which is called I, I, i'm gonna say i can't remember but actually the title of it is i can't i still can't remember my name is the name of the album and uh, that's a really loose messy album but it's a real it's a it's a fantastic album but it's it's not overly produced it's it's a little bit rough around the edges uh, a little bit uh, what shall we say how can i say this diplomatically transcendental uh, but really really interesting in terms of the arrangement so i think the the that whole messy thing you know experimentation keeping an open mindset color beyond the lines that for me is a really important principle behind creative leadership um, and it's a little bit of an oxymoron in a way or a little bit of a contradiction because on one hand leadership should be quite definite uh, although leadership is changing to a more collaborative approach and then equally you know trying to be creative you know and sometimes that can be a difficult thing so it becomes more about particularly on some of the albums I've listened to you'll generally find in the great albums there are some tracks within the albums and this is fairly consistent that the there's some tracks on those albums that are very experimental and then there are other tracks that are you know quite you know quite structured but generally the great albums you know have some kind of you know experimentation in there right so even if you take like the early Elton John albums and I'm purely calling it Elton John because he's quite you know with the new film out there at the moment he's quite topical but if you look at some of his early 70s albums which is really his, his best kind of period of work you know Madman Across the Water that album you know there's some quite proggy type songs in there which you wouldn't normally associate with Elton John and it's one of the reasons that some of those albums are great right so that experimentation messy thing was a real kind of uh, thing that I put and then the second piece then was around this kind of you know using technology to come out with different sounds and it's a, it's something I come across a lot within in business you know it's we're talking about technology as opposed to what we're trying to get out of technology so you know if you look at the the princes of the world or the Stevie Wonders they were looking for a particular sound or a particular arrangement or a particular harmony and they use technology to get there as opposed to we need technology and I think that's important when it comes even to the workplace which is actually you know wh what are we trying to get out of technology and then what does that actually mean like wh what kind of sounds are we trying to get out, out of technology what what kind of things are we trying to do with technology I think that's a really really interesting way of looking at it you know it was a, it was a it was a tool of creativity to get to another place um, there there's a there's you know some some of the tracks on some of the early Stevie Wonder albums you know, even listening to them now, they sound very fresh. So the obvious one is like Superstition, right? But he's so many songs in there where he is experimenting with different keyboard sounds. Uh, and, and I would just imagine what they sounded like in the 70s. And actually I asked my father, you know, because he was a big Stevie Wonder fan, what did they sound like? Is it they were so out there that actually, you know, it, it just, it was so different in terms of some of those sounds you know, that it was so innovative as a result, you know. So it, so I kind of got a lot from, uh, you can really see the artists really using technology. And I'm not talking about auto-tune, right, just so we're clear, right? I'm talking about people using, you know, that kind of tech to create new sounds, you know. What made you think then about also going to the next level and either learning a song or, you know, an instrument piece of one of those as well? It's really... Yeah, that, that was my maddest step, I would have said. So I, I think... Um, why did I do that? I think one element is really to <coughs> look at the artist, right? And to kind of go, well, why did they do the album like this? Or, you know, 
you know, the usual stuff, what part of their life were they in when they made this album. But that's really only half the story because you learn when, when we talk about creativity, a lot about it is the invention itself. So i.e. the tracks themselves and learning, you know, how they were played. Uh, you know, because you learn about chord changes, you know, you learn about interesting breaks, you know. You know, if you look at a lot of the, the really strong kind of blues albums, it's actually not about the, the notes themselves, it's about the space in between the notes. Uh, you know, so you really need to get behind that to get a sense of, uh, you know, why they were going there. And also then, you know, to get a sense of the lyrics and the words and, and you know, what they meant. Uh, so I didn't feel as though it was relevant to, you know, it's a little bit like, like uh, you know, probably get killed for this but it's a little bit like an art critic who doesn't know how to even paint at a at a fairly basic level you know it's easy to critique uh but you know it's it's good to be able to at least paint a, a watercolor right uh, and i'm not saying i paint watercolors with my guitar right but i got to I, you know i was a good i'm a good guitar player and a decent piano player and a decent enough singer but enough for me to understand you know, some of the tracks and what they were trying to do, right? You know, so th there's kind of stuff like that as well. So in terms of looking at this in applying it to business yeah. and to leadership in the real world, you know, how would you see that working? Yeah, so I mean, look, I, I suppose what I really did with the blog was as I was listening to it, I very much had a business perspective in mind. So at the end of my first blog, I talk about 15 principles uh, that I kind of gleaned from that and one of those was being messy you know so that's the one we've kind of already spoken about uh, there's one around technology but there are other ones in there you know that i think are, are very useful so for example you know this concept of really broad collaboration you know so you know you take the paul simon the graceland album right uh you know kind of, let's be honest right paul simon albums he had a few good ones but up until that one you know a lot of his stuff was just okay um you know, I love Paul Simon fans now listening to this going, Jesus, you know, I'll have a, a warrant on my head. But anyway, but with the Grayson thing is you really broadened his, uh, he broadened his collaborative group out, you know, into this kind of, you know, more tribal African sounds, you know, and as a result, that album became, you know, this kind of success. So what I've done really with this is a set of those principles that you can kind of go, yeah, what now does external deep collaboration mean? So if you take that one example, it might mean let's go for, you know, a partner way out there that we normally would never collaborate with and let's see where we go because I think that's the other thing about music you know you're not necessarily going to end up you know, where you think you're going to end up or you're not necessarily going to end up where you, you know where you started either uh, but you know that magic might happen with this partner or it might not right and I think that's an equally important fact you know when it comes to that so you know those 15 principles really is what I'm going to talk about a bit in my next number of blogs and they're very much around okay, guys, how can we now use this into the workplace and really, I suppose, turn creativity into something meaningful for leaders in the workplace? I think there is a general view now in particular, and I think it might necessarily have been the case 10 to 15 years ago, that we do need to bring this thing called creativity really into the workplace. Now is the time to do this stuff properly um, you know and I've had some kind of comments you know in that area I mean what I am going to do is you know over the next period of time is run some sessions on this with in our own organisation but then also with some of our, our client organisations to apply some of those principles uh, and then as I say you know experiment and question cynicism or scepticism creativity has to be kind of part of, of somebody's role and really what I'm trying to do is kind of say what does that mean? Because I think it's easier to say, Here, here's 15 principles, here's how to use them. And if you use them, 
you know, you are going to be more creative than saying we need to be more creative. Uh, and so I think, you know, that's what I'm going to try to achieve with the blog and the subsequent work that we do with our clients. Can you leave us with three tips, I suppose, that would help our listeners improve their creative leadership? First one is definitely be messy. Right. Second one is experiment with no end in mind. Because I think that's really, really important when we talk about this. And then thirdly, when we talk about diversity, I know, Siobhan, this is an area that you know very well. But when we talk about diversity, let's think about what is the most diverse partner or collaborator we could work with today that might change something that we're doing or might create a new product because of that collaboration. Excellent, Barry. Super advice. And thank you so much for joining us today. It was incredibly interesting hearing all about it. And I look forward to reading the next blog that comes our way. Thanks very much, Yvonne. That's it for this episode of the Engaging Talent Podcast brought to you by CPL. Sincere thanks to Barry Winkless for joining me today. For more information on creative leadership and for further employer resources, don't forget to visit the Engaging Talent podcast page at cpl.com. We'd also welcome your feedback on this series, so do please rate, review and subscribe. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts from. I'm Siobhan O'Shea. Thanks for listening and join me on the next episode to find out more engaging talent solutions.